Thanks, Louisa. Well, good morning, everyone. We all need help from time to time. We see it every week on GOL. Some people need medical help. Kathleen and I, we had a great doctor, and then he retired. Sometimes we need legal help. Sometimes we need an auto mechanic or a real estate agent or a financial advisor. We may need a marriage mentor or a friend who's willing to speak the truth to us in love. But what about our deepest and our greatest need that we're reminded of as we are worshiping God in this space at this time with this bread and this cup in front of us? What about that need? Without God, we don't know enough. We're not good enough. We're not strong enough. Our need for God is vast and vastly underestimated. My text this morning is from the book of Hebrews. You may have brought a Bible. You may have a Bible uh, in the pew in front of you. Uh, I would invite you to start finding it. It's right before James. Uh, uh, it's, it's kind of back in the back of the New Testament. I just want to say a couple of things about the book because I'm just going to give you a little sliver this morning. Uh, what we call the book of Hebrews is actually a long, complex, theologically sophisticated sermon written to encourage a group of beleaguered believers. The writer exhorts the Hebrews to persevere to keep on keeping on even though they were tired, tempted, and in some cases actually tortured. He warns them not to drift away, not to neglect their great salvation, not to become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And he does this by showing them their need for Christ. They need Christ more than anything else they might be prone to go to or rely on. And this writer relies heavily on the Old Testament. He uses, you're looking at it if you see chapter 1 even, uh, Old Testament quotations, key passages like Psalm 110, uh, and and major themes in, in the scriptures of that day, which we call the Old Testament. And one of these major themes that the writer of Hebrews uniquely expands is this concept of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. One Bible student called Hebrews the epistle of priesthood. Chapter 5, verse 10, you don't have to turn there, but we read in that chapter and verse that Christ was designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Mysterious Melchizedek and Moses' brother Aaron and his sons were major priests in the Old Testament. Priests were mediators. They went between. They occupied the dangerous middle ground between an infinitely holy God and His chosen, yet painfully sinful people. These priests represented those people to God and represented God to those very people in two main ways, two main jobs of priests. 
sacrifice and intercession. They offered sacrifices and they prayed. It's interesting, isn't it, that priesthood is a major facet in every ancient religion. And yet, for me, and maybe for you, it's a pretty alien concept. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm envisioning you thinking, oh great, priesthood. Here this guy's all ramped up on priesthood. That is weird. I have no idea what that means. Well, I have a friend who's Roman Catholic. I saw a movie one time that had a priest in it. Maybe you remember a prayer in John 17 that our Lord gave that we call the high priestly prayer. But I'm up here to say to you that priesthood, though alien, is a very important concept. One Old Testament scholar said, Bible words, and and we're going to see that priest is a Bible word. Bible words have Bible meanings. We get the meaning of the word priest in Hebrews from the Old Testament. The Old Testament explains the terminology of the New Testament. And this morning, in a few moments, uh, I'm going to try to help you see why you do need a priest and what that priesthood might involve. Now, we're going to look at the book of Hebrews, and I want to say to you, again, as I have said, that this is a major concept in this book. He, he develops it deeply. It's a little bit like standing at Jerry's for 58 minutes, and you're looking at the menu board, and you're trying to decide between all of those flavors, and when you're finally up at the window, all you get is just a tiny little cup. That's all you're going to get today is a tiny little cup of this large doctrine of priesthood. It's a little bit like if your team was in the World Series and you're up three games to nothing and you get to go to the fourth game and you get to sit right behind home plate for a single at-bat before you leave. That, that's, all, that's all you're going to get this morning. This doctrine is rich, and it's profound, and it's hard to understand. It's glorious. And you might say, well, why do I need it? Let's read just a little cupful from chapter 2 and and on into chapter 3 this morning. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, uh, to chapter 3 and verse 1. Old Testament quotations all around. Uh, Take a look at this text. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus, likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps. He's talking about angels in chapter 1. But he helps the offspring of Abraham. That's believers in Christ. That's us here this morning. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become, do you see it? A merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God 
to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Everybody needs a priest. Why do I need a priest? We all need to be reminded that Jesus is a great high priest because we all need the spiritual help that only God can give. We're not smart enough or good enough or strong enough on our own. We become exhausted by pain and suffering, burdened by loss. We feel the sharp pain of rejection and betrayal and the self-destructive foolishness of ones that we love. We worry. We have anxiety and uncertainty and nagging doubts, frayed and fragile confidence, overwhelmed by the brokenness that surrounds us, intimidated by personal failure. Some of you may have drifted into thinking that you are smart enough and good enough and strong enough on your own without God. You may be here on the outside, but on the inside, you're completely unengaged, just going through the motions. The idea of vibrant, personal, soul-satisfying intimacy with God is a dim memory at best or a tired and stale tune from days long past. Jesus knows what you're up against. He completely understands and cares. He's merciful and sympathetic, and He can help you. So when suffering saps our strength, we need to remember that Jesus will help us. When our doubt and cynicism chokes our faith, we need to experience the mercy and the sympathy and enduring perfection of Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Who needs a priest? You need a priest. I need a priest. We all need a priest. I'm just going to say four things There's so much that could be said. I just want to say four about the priesthood of Jesus Christ. What kind of priest is he? What what are the aspects of his priesthood? And as I give you these four things, here's what I'm envisioning, because at the end, we're going to hear kind of a what for or a so what about his priesthood. I'm picturing God on his throne, and that throne, you know, has these four legs to it, and and I, I want to inscribe four words that represent the priesthood of Christ into God's throne. And those four words are personal and perfect and powerful and permanent. That's, that's, those are the four things that I want to say. The first thing I want to say about the high priesthood of Christ is that it is personal. Take a look in your Bible, chapter 2, verse 17. He, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Chapter 4, verse 15. I've always wondered about this phrase. 415, 
we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Why did he say it that way? Why don't you just say, we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses? Well, that double negative, we don't have a priest who can't, that double negative is the writer's very creative way of solidly emphasizing the fact that we have a sympathetic priest, uh, that we have a sympathetic priest. Now he goes on, 415, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here's the point of this, this first aspect of his priesthood, this personal, personal priesthood made like us with a human nature. Jesus knows what it's like to be human. He knows and sympathizes with what you are going through. He knows what you're dealing with. At that throne, we've got this one word inscribed on on one of those legs, personal. At that throne, there is one beside, at the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And guess what? He's personal. He's got arms. And they are open to you. He's got a face that is looking at you with sympathy and understanding. That's the first point, his personal priesthood. The second point, the second word that we would inscribe on the leg of that throne is that his priesthood is perfect. It's perfect. Uh, Chapter 2 and verse 17 He's a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Do you know what that means, that long, multi-syllabic term, propitiation? It means that God was satisfied. He'd had enough. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, poured out all his blood, sacrificed his life, do you know why he did that? It wasn't just because Roman soldiers and Jewish high priests scammed him and Judas betrayed him. It was because the Father in eternity with the Son had made a deal to pay for all of our sins in order to satisfy His constant, infinite, holy wrath on sinful human beings. Jesus' priesthood is perfect. It's done. Remember what he said from the cross? It is finished. He he perfectly, fully accomplished everything that the Father had for him to do. And think about this. He's the Son. That's God's in heaven looking at that cross. That's his Son. Do you know parental pride Do you know when your child excels academically or excels in sports or maybe comes up here and sings a song really well, they they distinguish themselves in some way, and that pride that you have, that, that loving personal pride, if you understand that, how much more pride, delight, satisfaction does God have in what His Son has done to make it possible for you to be forgiven? So why do you want to rely on yourself? Why are you uneasy with your sin? 
Jesus Christ made propitiation for your sin. He satisfied. He covered it. If we go out to dinner and I cover you, you know what that means? Yeah, it means I'm going to have to pay for it. Uh, You're going to enjoy that a lot more than me because I'm covering you. That's what Jesus did. He paid our debt. He made propitiation. His priesthood is perfect. I I love this phrase, and it's uh, from the New International Version, chapter 7, verse 26. Such a high high priest truly meets our need. He meets our need. Those arms, there's hands at the end of those arms. And those hands have scars in them because he put himself in your place and he took the wrath of the Father instead of you. Your sin is covered over. He did it. It worked. It's done. His priesthood is perfect. So it's personal. It's perfect. The third thing that we would inscribe on one of those legs of that throne is that the priesthood of Christ is powerful, powerful. Chapter 2, verse 18, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Chapter 5 and verse 2, he is able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Chapter 7, verse 25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. It's powerful. He's able to help us. He's personal. He understands what you're going through. He understands what you're up against. You go to God and you say, I think we both know what we're dealing with here. It's powerful. Jesus says to you with those open arms and scarred hands, I made the universe. I got this. Come on. It's powerful. He can help us. That's not just Bible talk. It's not just church talk. This is revelation from God about His Son. He can help you. Okay, the final point is personal. It's perfect. It's powerful. It's effective. Finally, it's permanent. He ever lives. I made a mistake and wrote loves, and I I think that's fairly appropriate. He ever lives to make intercession for us. If you want to, if you're tracking with me, turn to chapter 7. If not, just listen. Uh, Chapter 7, verses 21 through 25, says this so clearly. Again, tapping Psalm 110 from the Old Testament. This writer is appealing to people who understand Judaism, who were prone to lapse back into Judaism for reasons that we won't go into now. Uh, But verse 21, he says, you are a priest, do you see it? Forever. 23, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Verse 24, he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Verse 25, he always lives to make intercession for them. Those arms are always open. He says to you, I'm here. Come in. The door's open. The light's on. Yes, I'm up. It's fine. Come on. He's always there. Okay, so what? 
How might we respond to this idea that Jesus is a personal, perfect, powerful, permanent priest? What, what might we do? The takeaway is in chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, just a little tidbit, four or five lines. This writer is constantly making theological points about a real God who sent a real son into the real world to accomplish a real salvation for real people who, in many cases, were really messed up. And so he's making theological points, and then he's saying, here's what difference it makes. It's not just theology. It's not just an alien concept. It's supposed to make a difference in what we do and how we respond. And here's, here's the clincher. Chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens from earth into the presence of God in heaven, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here's the response. Do you see it in verse 16? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you've messed up, when you've blown it, when you think God doesn't want to hear from you, at that time, because of Jesus' perfect priesthood, because of what He's accomplished, not you but Him, come boldly. Lord, it's me again. Yeah, I know. Lord, I got a big one. I know. I made the universe. I can handle it. I know what you're up against. I know what you've done. That's why my son died. So draw near. Don't drift away. You know what it's like to drift away. You know what it's like to drift apart from your spouse. You know what it's like to drift into the world. Don't drift away. Don't neglect your soul or your relationship with Jesus Christ. Check yourself. Somebody said, if you keep doing what you've been doing, you'll keep getting what you've been getting. What have you been doing? Are you hanging on? Are you pursuing your relationship with Jesus Christ? Or are your ears plugged and you're drifting away? from Jesus Christ. Students getting ready to go back to school. Check yourself. You know those gauges in the car? The car has gauges, indicators of the kind of state of health of the systems of the car. When you're a new driver, the only ones you really pay attention to are the fuel gauge and the speedometer. And a lot of times you don't pay attention to that. So you end up getting tickets and running out of gas. The rider would say, check yourself. How's your fuel level? Are you going too fast? Too slow? How about this? He says, draw near to the throne of grace. Let me challenge you to just consider doing this. Take the book of Psalms from the middle of the Bible. Psalms, easy to find, 150 of them. 
and I can help you. I got some schedules and stuff, but, but take one and read it and then pray. Pray a weak, feeble, messy, honest, simple, maybe angry, maybe fearful prayer. Lord, I stink at this. Thank you so much that this is not about my performance. It's about my priest who's perfect, who's permanently there. Lights on, doors open, come on. I know, I know, I know. I know all the thousand reasons why you don't think you should. I get it. I get it. I've experienced temptation too. Are you complacent? Who do you really love? Who are you trying to please at your core? Yourself? God. Jesus will help you. He's a priest, a mediator, a go-between. He says, come on, let's, let's talk to the Father. He's personal. He shares your human weakness in nature. He understands what it's like to be human, to be you. And he's perfectly satisfied. Every demand on you. And he's powerful. He can help. And he's there forever. Let's pray. Lord, here we are in this place at this time with this truth from a little section of your word in front of us about Jesus Christ being a priest. Please make it real to us as individuals. May we not write ourselves out of this moment. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.